read to you a little scripture, and uh, I got a word for you this morning that you're going to need to get a piece of paper and a pen out. I got a lot of things I want to give you, and you're going to need to write some things down this morning, because I believe that this word is a good word from the Lord, and I believe it's uh, setting the tables for what God is going to release in a couple of weeks for our prophetic vision for 2013. God is calling the church, he's calling his people to get out of their comfort zones and to begin to excel or be excellent in their spirits. Uh, God doesn't want us to be dormant. He doesn't want us to sit still. He wants us to be busy about the Father's business. Can I get an amen? And so this morning, we're going to talk about a few things that I believe are, is going to help stir our spirits up a little bit this morning. Daniel chapter 6, verse 3, one verse, the Bible declares, Then this Daniel was preferred. How many of you believe that there is a preference about to come to the faithful of God? You're about to be preferred. Y'all didn't like that, but let me teach you. You're about to have some preference demonstrated towards you. Many of you have experienced where you have been picked and chosen or others have been picked and chosen over you. God is about to choose you. He's about to pick you. He's about to bestow some preference on you. The Bible said, and this Daniel was preferred above the presidents and the princes. Now, why was he preferred? The Bible tells us because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king thought to set him over the whole realm. Now keep in mind, this was not a holy king. This was not a godly king. This was not a king that was directed by the power of the Holy Spirit. But how many of you know that if you are preferred by God, if God has put anointing on you, if you are doing things excellent for God, God will cause even your enemies to be at peace with you, and they'll pick you and prefer you over others. Now, Father, we bless the reading of your word publicly. And Father, we thank you this morning. Father, for what you are doing. Lord, we love you. We love your people. And Father, we love your word. And Father, we know this morning that you want to deposit something good into us. So Lord, help us to be attentive and help us to take some notes and to write some things down. If not, we'll miss some things that you want to tell us. This isn't my message. It's your message. And Father, you want to speak it through me to your people. And where I fall short, where I'm not able, Lord, where I don't have the ability to do the things that I need to do, I ask God that you would anoint me to speak your words, and Lord, let it fall on good soil in the hearts of the people this morning. We thank you for what you're going to do, and Father, for the harvest that will come as a result of the seed that's planted through your word today. We give you praise in Jesus' name, and everybody shouted and said amen, amen. and amen. My God, you can be seated, but grab you a piece of paper. Get a pen and begin to write some things down. You know, God is up to something. God is doing something. God is on the move, and He's moving through His people, through His prophets. He's moving in the church world, and I believe He's moving in the general world, world today. We've been looking in 2012 at the minor prophets. The last two we looked at was Haggai and Zechariah. Those two prophets 
have sort of changed the tone, if you will, in my spirit, in my mind, and in my heart. Haggai encouraged the people of God, Israel, to rebuild after years of exile and bondage. And then Zechariah came along and Zechariah encouraged them while they were rebuilding. I don't know about you, but I think all of us at one time or another in our life need to be encouraged. And when you encourage somebody, you inspire them, you persuade them, you spur them on, you stimulate them. As a matter of fact, if you really understand the word encourage, you understand that the word encourage comes from a Greek word that means to be filled with God. Anybody here need to be filled with God? Do you realize that it's amazing what can happen in our minds and in our lives when we're filled of God? See, when you're not filled of God, it's easy to get discouraged. It's easy to feel defeated. It's easy to feel like the devil's winning, that you're losing, and that no hope is on the horizon. But when you're filled with God, there's something about being filled with God that'll bring that hope and that inspiration inside of you that will declare out of your mouth. I don't know how, I don't know when, but I know God is going to do it again for me in my life. And I believe that everybody needs to learn to be encouraging. Zechariah was one of the best encouragers in the entire Old Testament. And I believe God wants us to be better encouragers. As I begin to study Zechariah, I begin to study that not only was Zechariah one of the best encouragers in the Old Testament, but he gave us some specifics on how to encourage other people. Write it down, because I believe that as we end 2012 and go into 2013, you need to be more of an encouragement to people in your life. You need to be more of a blessing to people in your life. I don't think we need to be a discouragement. We need to be an encouragement. We don't need to be negative. We need to be positive. We need to not curse people. We need to bless people. Quit trying to be negative and stimulate somebody to do good when God's word tells us if you want good to come, you got to focus in on the positive in their lives. Zechariah was an encourager. and Zechariah told us how to encourage others real quickly. The first thing that Zechariah told us was that in our encouragement, we need to be specific. Not general, but be specific. Not only do we need to be specific, but we need to be personal. We need to be personal about our encouragement. Don't just praise a group, but praise individuals inside of that group. But we also need to be public about our encouragement. It's one thing to get some private praise. It's another thing to give people public praise. Can I get an amen? And Zechariah was one who gave people public praise. But he also told us that when we encourage people, we need to do it in a detailed manner. Do it in a detailed fashion. Find some things to point out that are details that show them that we really paid attention and we really appreciate what someone has done for us. Another thing that Zechariah told us when we encourage people that we need to do is be positive. You're never going to encourage somebody being negative. You're only in- going to encourage them by being positive. We live in such a negative world. You know, all you got to do is turn on the TV to hear something negative. And I get tired of all the negativity, all the bad news going on. And sometimes we forget that this gospel is about the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in spread- instead of spreading bad news, news, maybe we ought to be about spreading some good news and being positive to people and encouraging them while they're here. 
Another thing about encouragement that Zechariah gave us is that we need to be sincere in our encouragement. And he also told us that in our encouragement, we need to be God-centered. Because there's a difference between encouraging somebody and flattering somebody. We don't need flattery in the body of Christ. We don't need flattery among Christians. But we do need good, godly encouragement. You say, Pastor, what's the difference between flattery and encouragement? Well, here's the difference. Flattery deals with puffing up the flesh. But encouragement deals with puffing up the spirit. See, you should not want somebody to puff up your flesh. You should not want somebody just to make you feel better. You should not want somebody just to appreciate who you are and what you've done unless it stirs up your spirit and allows you to release more good out of your life to help more people. Can somebody shout amen? And Zechariah was a very interesting prophet because Zechariah, his main purpose of encouragement was that he encouraged the people of Israel to get out of their comfort zone. Think about it. For years, they were in bondage. For years, they were in exile. For years, they were away from their homes, and they did absolutely nothing but what everybody told them to do. So Haggai comes and said, let's rebuild. They weren't too interested in it, but they decided to go ahead and obey the prophet and start the rebuilding prophets. And so Zechariah came along and encouraged them while they were rebuilding. And he encouraged them to get out of their comfort zones. They had become in a place of ease in their life. They had settled in. They had become complacent and apathetic and satisfied with where they were at. As a matter of fact, one of the reasons that Zechariah, listen to me, encouraged them to get out of their comfort zone was because they had gotten to the point where they were refusing and rejecting a new challenge in their life. I wish somebody would help the preacher just a little bit this morning. See, one of the things we know we're in a comfort zone is when a challenge comes, we reject it. When a challenge comes, we refuse it. When a call of God or a mandate of God is given forth from a prophet of God, we begin to find ways to wiggle out of it and try to shuck the responsibility and not join in and find ways to not be fully committed to it. And Zechariah began to notice through the prophetic inspiration of God that these folks were doing the work but they were still in a comfort zone and they had to be shaken out of where they were at and inspired to do something new. You know what some of you need more than you need anything? Look at me. I know you ain't gonna like this message. You need a challenge. You say, Pastor, I'm still full from Thanksgiving. No, no, no. You need a challenge. Some of you once were challenged to do something and then you accomplished something and you felt good, but then the devil fought you. And after a while, the fault got so intense and it got so hard. Anybody hearing me this morning? It got, it got so intense and it got so hard. You were doing things. You were making a difference. You were having an impact upon people's life, but the devil didn't just sit back, sit down and do nothing. He fought you. Can I tell you something? That's the devil's job. To steal, kill, and to destroy. So whenever you make a decision to do something for God and make an investment to make people better, the devil is going to try to get you where it hurts the most. And so after a while, you got tired of fighting. 
You got tired of getting hit and you got punch drunk. So you said, you know what? No longer am I going to do it. I'm tired of this. And you, and, 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 and you found reasons and maybe you gave yourself excuses to not continue in the battle. And, and you found reasons to get on the sideline and staying on the front line. But I'm here to tell you today that it's time that you, you, you get shook out of that comfort zone. It's time you get shook out of that place of complacency. And that you begin to understand that God has a purpose and a plan for your life. God is not done with you just yet. If he was, you wouldn't be alive. If he was, you wouldn't be here. If he was, you'd be up in heaven. But God has a plan for you. And because God has a plan for your life, you need to understand you cannot refuse and reject a challenge that God wants to place and put on your life right now. See, a comfort zone is a place that blocks our calling. There are things that get in the way of us seeing what we've been created to be. See, the devil always wants to put roadblocks and wants to put us in places that cause us to not see who God created us to be. He puts us in places that keeps us from finding out what God has gifted us to do. All of you have a gift and all of you have a call. All of you have something to do for God. And no matter what you do, what you achieve, no matter how much you accomplish in life, if you do not fulfill the plans that God has for you, you will not be satisfied. My God, somebody shout amen. Too many people are looking for satisfaction in all the wrong places. You're looking for it in your job? Maybe you're looking for it in other people. But the only place to find true satisfaction is in the presence of a mighty God. See, when you get in a comfort zone and you make a decision to not accept the new challenge, you get stuck and you get trapped in a life that is far from what God has intended you to be a part of. God is wanting us to understand that when you decide to get out of that place of complacency in your mind, it's going to cause you to change. You know the reason some people stay in their comfort zones is because they don't want to change. They don't want to grow. They don't want to challenge in their life. I'm here to tell you this morning that God is saying to tell you the same thing that Zechariah told the people in the, his book. He told them it's time we wake up and encourage them to not sit on the sideline, but get back on the front line and to do things to make a difference for God in this world. When you're in a comfort zone, you need to understand that a comfort zone is a place where talents and gifts lay dormant. It's a place of least resistance. A comfort zone is a place where your ideas and your opinions, they're the only thing that rule and matter in your life. When you're in a comfort zone, it's a place that you blame other people for the situations that you are in in your own life. A comfort zone is a place where opposition is no longer focused on you. I'm here to tell you there ain't nothing wrong with a little opposition. There's nothing wrong with a few people saying something about you. Come on now. You need to get to the point in your life where you quit worrying about what people say and what people think about you, where you care more about what God says than you do about what man says. See, when you're in a comfort zone, the opposition isn't focused on you. It's focusing on everybody else. Well, sometimes I'd rather be 
in the boat in the middle of the storm than on the shore where it's peaceful if God is not there. Sometimes the safest place is not where it's quiet. Sometimes the safest place is where it's the loudest. Sometimes the safest place is not where there's peace. Sometimes the safest place is where there's just a little bit of fear. (laughs) I can tell this is going over real good. A comfort zone is a place where your mistakes are not costly. See, when you're in a comfort zone, you can make mistakes and it doesn't cost you. But when you're in a place, listen to me, when you're in a place where God has put you, when you make a mistake, it'll cost. But when you're in a comfort zone, you're not on the front line, and it won't cost. A comfort zone is a place where no one puts a demand on you. A comfort zone is a place where no sweat is required. And a comfort zone is a place where no victories are ever achieved. It's time to get out of our comfort zone. I know we should be talking about something else, maybe gluttony on the Sunday after Thanksgiving. Not comfort zones just yet, but I'm here to tell you that my spirit is alive, that God is moving, and he's wanting the church to know that we cannot be complacent any longer. We have focused in on us and our four and no more. We focused in on our needs and our situations, and we have not realized that we are living in the last of the last days, and God is calling us off of the sideline and back to the front lines. He encouraged them to get off their get off get out of their comfort zones and to return to excelling or being excellent in what they do. See, when you're in a comfort zone, you don't care what you do. You don't care about the quality of how you do it either. See, when you're in a comfort zone, you just do the job that's necessary. You go only to the expectation level if you get there, but never go beyond. If we're ever going to do anything for God, and listen to me when I tell you this, we're not going to do it at a standard quo average level. You have to get average out of your vocabulary. You have to get just doing what needs to be done out of your mindset. And you've got to get back to learning to do things in an excellent manner for God. Do you realize the scripture we read in Daniel chapter 6 is a scripture that's all about us understanding that Daniel got favor from outsiders, from sinners, from worldly leaders. Do you know why? Because when he did something, he did it with a spirit of excellence and he put his heart into it to do the very best job that he could. He didn't just do the job to do it. He did it to the very best of his ability. The word excel, write it down, appears over 70 times in Scripture. It's an Aramic word. And the the Aramic word, write it down, is Y-A-T-T-I-Y-R. And it means to go beyond, to be superior. To be extraordinary. To do better. To exceed a given standard that is average. Can I tell you that average is not going to make it if you're going to have a spirit of excellence in your life? We've got to understand that average is an enemy to excellence. Is anybody in the house? 
See, because when you're average at something, average is the best of the poorest and the poorest of the best. Can I say it again? Average is the best of the poorest and the poorest of the best. It's not, it's right in the middle. It's not too bad, but it's not too good. It's right there. And God is expecting us to excel and not to be average. The word excel means to be first rate, to be top notch. Excellence is not a gift. It must be sought after, and it must be applied through discipline from human beings who truly want to do their very best job for God that they possibly can. Have you ever met somebody and it seems like everything they do, they do it well? Hello? I'm not one of those people. Everything that I have ever had to do, I've had to work hard to be able to do it. Things have not come natural. I've had to practice. I've had to put time in. I've had to spend extra time doing things. It's kind of like school. You know, there's some people go to school, they don't even study, and they get A's. Those people make you sick. Because I had to study and prepare and stay up all night and worry myself sick to get a C. And there's other people who just, they get an A. Well, see... God doesn't want us to lean upon our natural talent. He wants us to lean upon the spirit of a living God. See, it's not by might nor by power, but it's by my spirit, saith the Lord. It's not by ability or talent. It's not by the natural things that you have in your life that things are going to get done. It's only by the spirit of a living God. And God is expecting us to excel. Excellence can be obtained if we as God's people care more than others think is wise. If we risk more than others think is safe. If we dream more than others think is practical. And if we expect more than others think is possible. We need to achieve excellence in our life. Shouldn't we, people that are filled with the Holy Spirit, be the ones on the front lines coming up with things? Are we not be the ones that are involved in, 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 in science, coming up with cures, developing things, helping to solve the world's problems? Listen, if God is in us, we ought to be the ones coming up with the things in life that make the world a better place to be. Daniel was a person who wanted to excel in everything that he did. There's some marks of a spirit of excellence that you and I need to have in our life. How many of you want to have an excellent spirit? Listen, if you're here and you say, well, I just want to be average, I can't help you. If you want the status quo, I can't help you. If you want the mundane and the same old, same old, if you don't want to be shaken out, trust me, I'm going to do my best to shake you out of that web. But if you want it, there's nothing I can do for you. I'm talking to somebody this morning who says, I'm willing to take a new challenge. I'm willing to listen to the words of the prophet. I'm willing to maybe do something I've never done before. I'm willing to step out of my comfort zone. I'm willing to get off the sideline and get back on the front line. I'm willing to take a risk. I'm willing to care more than what I think I should. I'm willing to dare again. The Bible tells us in Daniel chapter 6, Mark's, of an excellent spirit. By the way, one of my favorite scriptures in the entire Bible is Daniel chapter 1, verse 8, where the Bible says that Daniel purposed in his heart to not defile himself. 
See, if you're going to have an excellent spirit, you're going to have to have some purpose in your life. You're never going, listen to me, you're never going to be excellent until you establish some purpose in your life. What is the purpose for who you are? What is the purpose for why you're alive? Why were you created? Why are you still alive? Why are you on the earth? There's times in all of our life when the devil could have got us. There's times I know when I should have been dead, but I'm still alive. God spared my life. Why am I alive? And other people that I know died. Why am I still here? There's a purpose for my life. Daniel understood that you're going to have to purpose. You're going to have to make a determination in your heart and in your mind. If you want to be excellent, that you're not going to sin against God, that you're not going to defile yourself, that you're not going to allow yourself to get drawn away from your own lust and enticed into things that you know are not God's will. In other words, you better purpose in your heart to say no to the devil and yes to God. Because if you want an excellent spirit, you're going to have to have the spirit that pursues God. God, are you hearing me? If you want an excellent spirit, an excellent spirit is a spirit that pursues God. It's a spirit that seeks after God. It's a spirit that puts God first. And when you want to be in your comfort, comforts of your own home or you want to stay in the comfort zone in your mind, you say, no, I'm going to walk in obedience to God. I love Daniel 1.8 because Daniel said, I purposed. So every time the devil throws something my way, I've already purposed in my mind. I already know that he's coming. I already know that he's on the loose. I already know he's going to come after me. It's not going to catch me off guard. It's not going to catch me by surprise. I know the devil is out to get me. So when he knocks on my door, I'm not going to act like I didn't know he was coming. I'm going to be there waiting, and I'm going to say no to the devil and yes to God. Somebody clap your hands and shout yeah. He purposed in his heart. Some of you are going to have to understand you are here for a greater purpose than just to take up space. You're here for a greater purpose than just to get a paycheck every week on your job. You're here for a greater purpose than what you can realize or dream. The only way to find your spiritual purpose, listen to me, is not in front of the TV watching CNN. The only way to find your purpose in life with God is to put, your, put yourself in a place where the Spirit of God can stir you and speak to you and share with you the things that He has called you to do. Is anybody listening to me? Well, I love Daniel. I love Daniel because Daniel, when he planted his feet, nobody could move him. Daniel was one who said, I'm going to serve the Lord. I'm not going to back up. I'm not going to give in. I'm not going to let somebody persuade me. I don't care what title, what position. I don't care who they are. Daniel said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Daniel stood firm in his belief, even when Nebuchadnezzar said, you know what? We're having a celebration. We're building a statue. And when the trumpet blows, you need to bow. Daniel said, I got news for you. I respect you, king. I appreciate you, king. But I'm not bowing to anybody other than to my God. We need more people to have that kind of purpose where they don't try to please everybody. See, whenever you try to please everybody, you end up pleasing nobody. We don't need kiss-ups to man. If you're going to be a kiss-up, at least kiss-up to God. Daniel said, I ain't bowing. 
The king said, well, I'm going to have to teach you a lesson. Daniel said, you do what you got to do, but I got to do what I got to do. See, we can't control others, but we can't control ourselves. I don't have to answer for what you do to me. I only have to answer for what I do to you. Quit worrying about what everybody has done to you. Get over it. You're not the only one. And realize, you don't have to answer for what others do to you, only for what you do to them. Daniel said, I'm not going to bow. I've come too far. He's done too much. See, if you keep your memory on what he has done and on who he is and about what he wants to do in your life, no matter who blows the trumpet, no matter who shouts their shout, you're not going to bow to anybody other than the one you ought to be bowing to to begin with. Daniel said, do what you got. He said, all right, well, let me show you. I'm going to teach you. Because if I let you get away with not bowing to me, then everybody else is going to do it. So I got to teach you a lesson. He said, turn the fire up. Turn the heat up. We're going to put them in the furnace. Turn it up seven times hotter. God couldn't help but go in seven times hotter. He didn't say three, four, five, six. He said the God's number, seven. He didn't realize God can use even evil men to prophesy the word of God and to make your purpose come to pass. Somebody shout, yeah. Yeah. 